Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Today's episode is brought to you by Mahina Offshore Services, the company run by sailing expert and previous podcast guest John Neal. If you're looking to get started with the sailing lifestyle, Mahina Offshore Services offers three fantastic options to help you out. First, they offer ocean sail training expeditions in many locations around the world, where you can learn with John and gain the skills and confidence needed to tackle ocean passages. Second, if you're planning on boat shopping, Mahina Offshore Services also offers boat selection consultation, where John can guide you through the process and help you find the perfect boat for your needs. And finally, the Virtual Cruising Seminar is a fantastic resource that you can enjoy at your own pace from the comfort of your couch. Whether you're a seasoned sailor or just getting started, there is something for everyone in this comprehensive seminar. So visit the website at mahina.com to learn more about the services and get started on your sailing journey. Now here is what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. Well, before that, when you say the whole experience, you mean I put in the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. That would be true. I put in my mistakes because they're my mistakes. I, I have to live with them. Um, you know, it's it's just that's part of the adventure. I didn't know what I was doing when I started this boating adventure. I had no boating experience before I bought this boat. The first night I slept on a boat properly was this boat the day I after I bought it. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. 
In this week's episode, I sit down with Steve Payne, a liverboard cruiser and a YouTube creator who has been sailing around Europe for the past few years. I start off by asking Steve the age-old question, why is he living on a boat? And we delve into his journey from being a professional photographer and filmmaker to becoming a YouTube creator in the sailing world. We also explore the joys of liverboard life and his experience cruising through the French canals. Additionally, we touch on the Friendly Flag project that Steve started that encourages friendship and socialization on the water. So without further ado, let's get started. I like to start the conversation with a question that you must have been asked a million times, and that is why. So Steve, why have you chosen to live on a boat? I chose to live on a boat because I like travel. I like to have somewhere that feels like home. And those two things weren't really <laughs> um, in the same like ballpark. They were like, <laughs> I wanted somewhere to live and I like to travel. And I didn't want to buy a little flat in Slough and then go traveling places because I'd still be living in Slough. So I decided to get the hell out of the UK and travel to the Mediterranean. Um, uh, but I'm like, it feels a little bit like my boat is like a little spaceship. And you just, you're like popping from planet to planet to planet. And um, you, you, you arrive at this new place and you go to the local supermarkets and you, you go to the local shops and you, you meet people and you talk to them. But, uh, and then you go back to your boat and you launch off and you go to the next place. It's a, it's a funny little, it's a funny life that I really like. I really like. Yeah, I can completely relate to that idea of wanting to travel, but also wanting to have the comfort of a great accommodation always nearby and your home. Um, I personally hate finding Airbnbs and, and you know, finding the perfect place to stay at or a hotel and changing your location or your accommodation all the time. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why the boating lifestyle really appeals to me, because I would love to travel with my own home and move it with me that's uh sounds amazing and then hopefully I'll, I'll get to that one day and uh certainly don't blame me from going from the uk to the mediterranean that seems like a, a natural course uh in terms of the climate but i want to talk a little bit about your professional background because it's quite interesting what so you've uh obviously you said you left england but uh before that you spent a lot of time in the united states as well so can you tell us a little bit more about your your professional background and how i know you are now have entered the world of youtube and i think that's just a fascinating connection how that's played out it all does kind of play into itself um i was a professional photographer in london for about uh about 10 years and i, I started working for the, the music newspapers like melody maker and record mirror nme and um i ended up uh working for sounds and then i you, you get put into contact with other people and i slowly moved across to the Evening Standard, which is like London's newspaper. The Evening Standard is a really good newspaper. It still is. And um, I, I, I just 
worked there. Uh, but I also, because I'd started in music and I've always liked music, I <laughs> I was doing like shooting music videos and live concerts and things like that. And then I did a job in California and we've had like, I don't know how many years of Thatcher, 12 years of, of Thatcher. And, and she'd really beaten the country down. And I did this job in California and everyone was happy and friendly. And I'm like, I like it here. So I pretty much just packed up and moved myself to California. And I ended up living there for the next 27 years. And uh, I, I loved it. California is great. California is like a country. It's, it's very different from the rest of America. And I, I, I really enjoyed my time there. But then my, my mother, who was at that point 92, uh, needed some, some care. So I, I went back to the UK and uh, I took care of her for um, quite a while. And then like um, six months or so. And then she passed away. And I had the option to either stay in the UK or or just get the hell out. And getting the hell out sounded like a lot better of an idea. And so I bought a boat and moved my life onto the boat. And because it's just me on the boat, I think that rather than talk to myself at least i had you know a, a little camera to talk to and i started doing this youtube thing just because because <laughs> talking to a camera doesn't look as weird as talking to myself <laughs> no and that's that's great and i get that feeling from your videos it feels like you know we're having a, a facetime call or something you're just picking up the camera and just explaining what's going on and it's perfect and i can completely understand that when you're by yourself on a boat that you want to share it with somebody and you know explain a little bit yeah, what's happening because it's like when i when i when i talk to the camera i talk to it like it's a friend because and I, I realized this after I'd been doing it for a year because I, I always talk about uh, today we're at so-and-so or we're going on this adventure it's like we as opposed to I'm going on this adventure and I'm just going to have a camera with me I'm like I'm taking you with me and we go somewhere and I, it's almost a sort of odd slightly unique style of if you watch my videos, you feel like you're there with me on the boat. And uh, I, I I just kind of like it like that. Because you are, you are with me on the boat. Yeah, exactly. You get a great glimpse of uh, what the life is like there um, on a boat and, in, and, you know, whether it's in France or in the Mediterranean and, and so on. But it's odd because they're the the camera that I tend to use is a, a GoPro, and it's got a wide angle lens, and that there's two reasons for me using that. Rather than have a more well, three reasons. Rather than have a more expensive camera with an expensive lens that is probably going to at some point go overboard because I've lost GoPros as well. Um, I. I decided to use the GoPro because it's got a wide angle lens. It means the camera has to be closer to me when I shoot with it, which gets better audio. But it also gives you a different perspective of rather than watching a screen, 
you're watching a person because the camera's close in it's more it's more intimate and that was intentional i i, I meant to that meant that to happen and it, it's worked out wonderfully and i i i can go back and watch my old videos and i still like them and i'm a very very harsh critic and if i didn't like them i would immediately delete them i've loaded i've spent like two hours exporting a video another two hours up uploading it and then it renders for another few hours and i've watched it and i've gone ah there's one typo and I don't like that shot. And I've deleted the whole thing and done the whole thing again. It's not that I'm a perfectionist. I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely the opposite of a perfectionist. But if there's something in there that bugs me, I can't live with it and it'll come down. So... Yeah, it's interesting. And I wonder if it has something to do with your professional background, because, you know, that kind of thing, you know, you used to look at things more in a professional setting. And this, of course, is just just a hobby in quotation marks. But, uh, you know, it's still, you know, have that mentality like, you know, it's going out in the world. It's it's going to be great. It's going out there and it's going long after I've departed this planet. Um, those videos are going to live on and it, the fact that I misspelt something in there, that can't happen. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, there, there is it. that. There, there is that. And, and um, I hope that someone can go through and find, find some typos in there because they are there. It, they just are. It, it's not a professional thing. It is just a fun thing. Oh, of course. It tells a journey either way. You know, it documents the whole whole experience, which is great. But we've talked about all this, uh, you know, time spent on a boat and, and all that. So what kind of boat do you have? Well, before that, when you say the whole experience, you mean I put in the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. That <laughs> would be true. I put in my mistakes because... They're my mistakes. I, I have to live with them. Um, you know, it's it's just that's part of the adventure. I didn't know what I was doing when I started this boating adventure. I had no boating experience before I bought this boat. The first night I slept on a boat properly was this boat the day I after I bought it. So that's that. But I bought this boat because uh, it's a Birchwood TS-37. Uh, built in 1987, so it's it's not a new boat by a long way, and and I've had people say, "How can you afford to live on a boat?" And I'm like, "I can afford to live on the boat because I have a boat to live on." You know, it's like I, someone the other day was like saying, "Yeah, it must be really expensive." And I'm, how much have you paid in rent over the past year? And they they said, well, you know, I paid $1,600 a month. And I'm like, right, that's way more than I've paid. And I live on a boat. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's, uh, it's not as expensive as people maybe make out to be. I'm sure it could be, but oh, it uh, can be. Yeah. land living is also expensive. Yeah, absolutely. It's expensive if you fix everything the moment it, it doesn't work. And you don't learn how to fix some things yourself. You know, it, it's like I was in, uh, where was I? Viviere in France. And my engine would not start. My, my starboard engine would just not start. It would turn over 
And I'm like, God damn it. I, I, I know it's something simple because it's not making a, it didn't make a horrible noise before it stopped working. And it's not making a bad noise as it's turning over. And I am not a diesel engineer, so I don't really know what the hell I'm doing. And um, I just, I had a, a friend back in the UK who I'd met on a Facebook page for Birchwood um, boat owners. And he actually knew the boat. And he just kept encouraging me to track down the fault. And I mean, he wasn't able to pinpoint the, the fault because he's somewhere back in the UK. But he kept encouraging me to to find it, find, you know, just do this, do this. And uh, maybe you could try that. And eventually I found the fault, which was one tiny little wire that got corroded down in the engine room. And when I, I, I took off this big box with all these wires in it, and I'm like, ah, and then I started wiggling them around and one just came loose. And I'm like, that, I, I just, I instinctively knew that that was the problem. And I connected it back up and I went upstairs and I turned the engine on and it started perfectly. So I'm like, I was very proud of that moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. It takes some detective work to try to find out what's not working. And I talk to a lot of people and it's always something small. It's never something big and obvious the engine blows up or anything. It's just a tiny little thing that takes hours to find. Yeah, diesel engines are interesting because they... Once they're running, they actually don't require any electricity. They they're kind of bomb-proof because they 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 don't have spark plugs in an ignition system. They have a glow plug, and once they go, they go. But this one wire was part of the cutoff system when you want to turn it off, and that's what's causing the problem. But yeah, diesel engines. I mean, the, the boat isn't as green as I would like it, but I don't have a car and I'm I'm just on my boat. So I don't know. I have to live with that burden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do have solar paddles there though, right? I do. I, I have a large solar panel that I installed myself. And um, like right now, for example, we are actually being powered by the sun because i'm on my computer and it's working off the solar panels which are charging at 13.6 volts and um i've got four uh, 410 ampere hour batteries uh downstairs in the engine room that are separate from the boat engine i've got another 410 ampere hours but they run the boat, and I keep both uh, both uh, systems separate because you you that's just what you do. You you keep your your solar away from the the. I can charge the boat batteries with solar if I need to, but um, I, I I tend not to. I keep away from that. How long is the boat? It is eleven point three meters. And it is eleven. Uh, it is three point eight wide, and it has a draft of one point two or something like that. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. Uh, well, we'll start talk about the uh, French canals in a little bit. But uh, first, I wanted to see you've been, you know, living on your boat now for what, a couple of years, I think. So, uh, what is it that 
brings you joy in this lifestyle? What have you found that is something that keeps you wanting to keep going? You know how if you live somewhere, I mean, I'm freelance. So all of my life, I've, I've and I've been freelance all my life. I've never quite known where the next rent check was coming from. I've had to earn it. It's like I didn't just have a job where I knew that whatever I did, I was going to get paid. And so the fact that I don't have to worry about that rent check every month, that, I swear, <laughs> has probably added years to my life. Um, I, don't, I don't have to worry. I, I, I have very little stress on, on the boat. I've got very low stress level. I, I've, wor I've worked in production, so I know what stress is like when – you know, it's like you've got to get the shot and you've got to do this and you've got to do that or you're not coming back to work the next day. So my stress levels are very low and I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah, that's a great goal to have. Yeah, I I did have a, I don't know if I'd call it stressful night. Yeah, it was it was stressful night the other night where a bunch of stuff happened where I had set my destination when i got there i realized that the it wasn't deep enough and even though there's only like i don't know 300 millimeters of tide in this part of the mediterranean it, it wasn't going to be good so i decided not to go into that mooring spot and i had to go to the next one that i had because you always got to have a plan b and i started motoring the boat on and it was getting dark and I pulled into the next spot I checked the weather it was going to be good and I, I went to sleep quite early by eight o'clock and by 10 30 11 o'clock the boat had started rocking and I'm like oh it shouldn't be rocking this much and then it started rocking and rolling more and more and more and it just got to the point at which it had never I'd never anchored in waves as big as that before. They ended up being going from about 0.2 of a meter to about 1.2 of a meter, which doesn't sound much, but this is a motorboat. It's very different from a sailing boat. So it's not, it does not handle rough water as well as a sailing boat does. And uh, I was all over the place and then I started feeling a bit seasick and I don't get seasick and then I was watching some video that I'd shot that day and I realized that I had eaten some salmon and I got a feeling I ate the wrong pack of salmon that was past its due date and I got food poisoning and you Food poisoning is just horrible because it's like getting whacked on the back of a head by a two by four. And you're just, I, I was, I was hallucinating almost. I, I felt like there was someone else on the boat and I was in this weird kind of dream state. And, and I, luckily the anchor held, even though the boat was backing up and down, the anchor held and it was just miserable as opposed to being miserable and dangerous. Because if the anchor had started to to drag, um, and I have dragged an anchor before, um, but if the anchor had started to drag, it would have dragged me towards the, the coast. And I was only maybe 
200, 100 meters away from rocks. And I would have had to go out onto the foredeck of the boat when it was bucking up and down to raise the anchor. And I didn't feel safe doing that. And even if I had gone up there and been able to raise the anchor, I had nowhere to go, you know, because it was dark and it was only going to get worse if I'd taken the boat out to sea. I didn't know what I was going to do if I had to raise the anchor. But fortunately, I didn't have to raise the anchor. I just sat there and grinned and bared it and waited till the the dawn and then I moved on and went to a safe harbor for a few hours and just crashed out because that was a it was a miserable night it was just horrible but oh that was the other stressful. stressful thing yeah yeah seasickness plus plus food poisoning plus the boat bouncing around like it had never bounced around before so that was not uh not a pleasant evening no, I can imagine it was nuts. And that was obviously on the Mediterranean side. But let's talk about the little bit of a calmer waters of the French canals, because I find that idea really fascinating. I know there's a lot of bike routes that crisscross France and along the canals, but of course, you can do them on a boat as well. So I would love for you to tell me a little bit about your route through France, as obviously you cross the English Channel. And then, then what? I can't remember when I figured out that you could take a boat all the way through France to the Mediterranean. But <laughs> I'm sure one afternoon I was just sitting drinking a cold beer somewhere on my boat. And I'm like, holy shit, you can take a boat all the way through France? Because originally I think I was planning on going around the coast. But I'm like, that would be amazing. And uh, when I bought this boat, um, I was I was lucky. I, I went to I was looking at different boats, and I found a boat that I really liked the look of. It was a Dutch steel cruiser, and uh, it had a single 145 horsepower motor in it. And I I went and took it for a little sea trial, a river trial, and it was smoking more than it should have done. And then when we pulled back into the marina, the the guy who the sales guy was in charge and he was running the boat and he went to put it into reverse and it wouldn't go into reverse and we almost crashed into the uh into the pontoon. And I, I kind of looked at him and he looked at me and I went, mm -mm. I just shook my head and he goes, No, <laughs> you shouldn't be buying this boat. So I backed off that one. And I, as I said, it was a beautiful boat, but it wasn't right for me. So I went and I, I started poking around all the other marinas in, in the south of England, um, the inland marinas, it's on the River Thames. And uh, I got talking to this one chap called Darren, I think, at uh, Penton, Penton Hook on the Thames. And he said, hang on a second, because I, I asked him what he had. And he said, let me, let me just find out what do you need to do with the boat? And I said, well, I want to live on it for a while. Then I want to go down the River Thames. I want to cross the channel. And I want to go in through the French waterway system and all the way down to the Mediterranean. And he said, you're looking for the wrong boat. You want a boat with two motors, because when you get 
when you get to France, having two motors will really increase the maneuverability of the boat. And once you get to the Mediterranean, you want two large motors because it can get a little bit unpredictable. And if you've got one motor in an old boat and you have a problem, then you will really have a problem. And because, I mean, even once when I was on the boat, I was with uh, a friend of mine and we were going out to the Red Sands Forts. Um, which are these really old Second World World, Second World War forts that are about, I don't know, 10, 15K off the coast of Kent. And one of the engines cut out because I we had I'd never taken the boat very fast because you can't go more than three or four, probably three knots really, on the River Thames. And so when I opened it up, what had happened is the the bow of the boat had gone higher up, which had caused some water that was probably had collected in the bottom of one of the fuel tanks to get, as the angle of the tank went changed, the angle, the level of the water went up past the inlet to the end of the diesel. And so the engine cut out. And I'm like, ah, damn it. But if I'd had one engine, I'd have been in trouble. But because I had two engines, I was able to just slow down, keep going, and get back to port okay. But it would have been, we'd have had to call out the Coast Guard if, if I'd only had one engine. And so I, I, I recommend two engines, if you can, to go through um, the waterways, um, especially out here on on the water of the Mediterranean. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes sense. And yeah, it's a good point about having that sort of um, fail-safe of a second engine. And of course, the maneuverability in the canals is probably quite key. So you started in... Uh, is it Calais that's uh, right up the, uh, yeah, where you start? And then uh, it's wonderful to just crisscross the whole central French countryside, but also large cities like Paris, which seems like well, you can essentially take your boat to Paris. Like, what? Imagine that. You can take your boat to Paris. Um, I, I, I love Paris. It's, it's a, probably my favorite big city in the world. It's just, it's very elegant. It's very friendly. It's got more culture than just about anywhere else. And it, it was just great. But uh, yeah, I, I 
I I found a, a marina there and I, I sent them the boat details and they're like, sure, come on. And originally I was only planning on staying in Paris for a week, but it was so nice there. I'm like, we'll just stay here longer. And I think it was about I think it was about forty, forty two euros a night to be in the middle of Paris. Wow, yeah. You'd paid 400 euros a night in a hotel easily. Absolutely. So I just, I made a few friends there. I ended up talking to one girl and shooting a music video for her. You know, it actually, <laughs> nice. it actually paid me to be in Paris because shooting that one music video covered the cost of staying in that marina the whole time. And uh, she loved the video. It ended up being on French television, and she'd never had a video of one of her songs on French television before. So she was happy, I was happy, and Paris was happy. So it was just, it was a great situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I'm curious about, when you go through the canals, is there, I assume there's a lot of locks that you have to go through. What's that process like? Is that does that continue to be nerve-wracking? Uh, I'm sure it is the first time you do it, but do you get used to it? Is there a system or process to the madness? Yes, there is a process to the madness. I've been through quite a few. Well, when I say quite a few, <laughs> I'd probably gone through about eight, maybe ten locks in my life because there's locks on the River Thames. Um, and I... Originally, where I bought the boat, which was Bray, which is near Maidenhead, I had taken the boat upstream a couple of times just, you know, because I could. And then um, when I went down, I probably went through I don't know, three or four locks. There's a big lock at Teddington and stuff. So I, I, I felt pretty experienced at going through locks because I've done 10 of them. Uh, there are, I went through 216 locks to get to the Mediterranean. <laughs> so I was a lot more experienced by the time I hit the salty water on the other side. It's, you know, there is a trick to doing it right. If you go at them too slowly, then there's not enough water passing over the rudder. So you don't have as much control. But if you go too fast, you're going to create a wake and you're going to just, there's going to, it's just going to get silly. So you go in nice and steady, but you, you know where you're going to go you, you, and you react quickly and you pay attention and you slide into the locks. Uh, you can, I, I videoed a lot of them. So you can see that on the, on the, the YouTube uh, of me getting into places where you, I mean, it's funny because so at the beginning, like two or three minutes before you go into the lock, the lock looks tiny. And you're like, How am I? you know, it's like landing an F-17, F, sorry, F-18 on a, an aircraft carrier deck. You know, it's like you, you see the videos of the pilots doing that. And you're like, you see the aircraft carrier is way in the distance. And you're like, how the hell is he going to land this, this F-18 on that thing? And then he does and you're like oh you see it got bigger as you get closer science going through the first few locks probably felt as nerves wracking as the first time a, a navy pilot drops an f-18 onto an aircraft carrier 
he's got a bit more at stake than I do, but it would be equally as embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what about the communication with the operators? Is it in French only or will they do it in English? Well, quite often there's no operators. Uh, they, you get, um, you get, what they do is when you get into the system, I forgot where it was now. Um, the first few always had people at. And if there wasn't someone at there, at the actual lock, you could make a quick phone call to the VNF and you pay them it's about 130-something euros a month. And that pays for all the operators. It pays for the maintenance of the locks. And it, it pays for them to come out and help you if it's needed. But they'll come out. And they'll they'll push the buttons, and you you uh, you see a red a red light as you approach the lock, and then it goes to red and green, which means they see you and they're working on it. And then when everything the lock is open and set for you, that goes to a green light, and you proceed through the lock. But some of them um, are remote control, so there's someone operating it, but they're operating it from a control center somewhere else and what you do is you as you approach it you hit a little button and there's a sensor about 300 meters short of the lock that picks up the little radio button click thing and sets the whole thing in motion and um they just monitor it and make sure you're not screwing things up from a distance but it's um i i had no issues with any of the locks there was one that wouldn't open properly um once we got in um i had a friend of mine with me and um we, we got into the lock and it, it closed but the other part of it wouldn't open and all it was was the grass had grown up over past the sensor and it thought that there was something blocking it so the gate wouldn't move but he came out and he just went meep, 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 and cleaned it and the gate opened and that was that but they were all very friendly they were very polite very nice and most of them spoke some english so it was it was never a problem that sounds way less stressful than i thought it would be so that is actually really great to hear and another thing that i'm thinking um, i recently chatted with somebody in the us who had done the great loop and they said there were occasionally debris like logs and and such in the water because there was there's a lot of commercial traffic uh in the great loop waterways but what what about the canals in france is there a lot of debris or any sort of challenges aside from the locks, which don't seem to be that much of a challenge, but anything like that? I checked the weed trap probably once a week or so. And I did have one point at which a twig got into the inlet for the water for to um, cool the engine. And so the weed trap was clear. And I'm like, why is the engine overheating? And it was because um, a, a twig had got inside there. And there's an odd, poorly designed thing that's just a 90-degree um, turn for the inlet pipe. And a twig had gone in there, and that that had just eventually blocked everything up. And so it was causing my engine over to heat, to overheat. It took a... It took a couple of weeks to figure out exactly what was going on because if you ran the engine very slowly, it wouldn't overheat. It was only once 
it ran a bit faster than it was overheating. So I could I could kind of get away with running it, and then I figured out what it was. And so that was it. The only other mechanical issue I had was my starboard motor controller upstairs slipped its little um little plastic control thing had come off and broken and so i had to super glue that together and put it back on again but um with the help of a friend i was able to do that and get back on the road quite quite efficiently yeah oh that's great to hear because in my mind the french canal system is very quaint and kind of relaxing and it sounds like a lot of it is it's not as intimidating as maybe some of the larger waterways so that's great to hear yeah it, it's i i never felt intimidated by it at all maybe that's just me being overconfident i don't know but i i always felt fine um the the lowest bridges are just south of calais so if you can get 12k south of calais you're pretty much going to be okay the whole way through France. Unless they have heavy rains, you then might have to wait a few days for the, the level to go back down again. The only other thing I had to wait for was there was a canal, a couple of um, gates of the canal were being replaced when I got there. And it was the low season, and they, they took about two weeks to, to replace the canal gates. But I found a little marina just back from where I I needed to, and uh, I ended up staying there almost a month because it was so nice. And then there was another place um, in Montargis, which was a really cute little town in the sort of center of France um, that had a bridge that was being repaired. And I didn't get under the bridge in time. <laughs> so... Um, I could have done, but I didn't know the bridge was going to be repaired. So when I woke up and decided to move the boat, I, I was moving it and I'm like, oh, no, well, this is no good. And so I parked the boat up and got off and walked up to it. And one of the workers explained that it was going to be impossible for a couple of months. So I just <laughs> went back into went back to my mooring and um, someone from the VNF came by and said, um, yeah, the bridge is going to take a few, uh, two months to fix. Um, it was a scheduled maintenance. Um, sorry that we hadn't noticed, but we were welcome to use the electricity and the, the mooring for as long as we wanted until the bridge was open. How nice is that? How nice is that? There are so many little French towns that have free electricity, free water and a free mooring spot and a little sign up that says you're welcome to stay here but please limit it to three days you find that often you know it must have been 30 different places that had that oh wow oh that's very nice yeah that is a very convenient and friendly approach to it now you've gone through france and then you made your way to the mediterranean and actually you've made it quite far as you're in the sort of southern part of italy right now and being in the mediterranean is obviously much different with being in open water and entirely different environments um, i'm curious which one appeals to you more the canal life or the uh, open water I really like the the canals um if you can do it with a friend i think it's a lot better i mean sailing generally is is better if you've got someone else on board but um it's 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 just great i i really like the the mediterranean because uh 
it's got to be one of the most boat friendly places in the world um there's a lot of boats in the south of France and, and the coastal Italy. And, and there's just a lot of boats. Um, and people are, they're very, people are very friendly. Um, but uh, there's a lot of boats. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's popular for a reason. And uh, I don't, I get yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all having seen some of your footage from the mediterranean and the places there are just gorgeous it's exactly what you picture mediterranean to be beautiful towns little hills and historic cities and beautiful blue water like what's yeah. not to love <laughs> exactly um it, it's it's really nice and the marinas are all super efficient and uh in the low season very very inexpensive I mean, you can stay in the middle of Nice for 19 euros a night. What? Really? Wow. And that's on a, that's on a visitor's berth. That's, that's like you can stay there for two nights and you're only getting charged 38 euros. It, it's just wow. like, so if you, if you stay for a month, you can get an even better deal. But um, yeah, that, that's to me, that's, that's a bargain. Absolutely, especially coming from a little bit of a colder climate where the winter in the Mediterranean is plenty warm enough. Uh, oh, that yeah. would be amazing. Yeah. I, I highly recommend wintering in the Med because um, it's cheap. Um, now, the Mediterranean is famous, infamous for having changeable weather. And I got bitten by that, as I was explaining earlier. But if you pay attention to the weather and you make sure you've always got a nice, safe anchorage or marina to go to, then great. And also another thing with the marinas is if, like, I wanted to, I wanted to go to Mon um, Monaco because it's Monaco, right? And so um, I just, I, I sent them an email saying, is it okay if I just come there for a couple hours? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. And so I, I just went there and I, I tied my boat between these two multi-million dollar super yachts. They just like, you know, helped me in. And, and I went in and they, I parked there, tied my boat off and I went. And, but yeah, I, I stayed in uh, Monaco for like four hours and there's no charge. They just let you just come in and, um, you know, fill up with water if you need to. I've never been charged for water. Um, and I've never been charged extra for, for electricity, although I'm told that some places do that in the summer. But right now, there's no one charging me anything for that. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Oh, that, that sounds really great, actually. And, and again, yeah, very friendly, which is not necessarily the image I had in my head. <laughs> Talk to me about the Friendly Flag project that you created. Aha. Yes. Um I was at this strange place. Um, it, it's called Ile Saint Marguerite, and it's just about five or six k south of Cannes. And in the summer, it's a little bit like you know the roundabout that goes around the Arc de Triomphe. It's a little bit like that, but for boats. I would estimate that there's 
of 1,200 boats there on a nice Saturday afternoon if the weather's good. So it's crazy popular. And I was talking to a friend of mine, and I, I posted a photograph. I sent a picture to him. Um, and um, it was from a drone. So you could see how many boats were there. And he said, yeah, that looks great. Does anyone talk to anyone else? And I said, no, not really. I mean, they're, they're friendly, and people wave at each other. But there doesn't seem to be much interaction between the the actual people on the boat and if you're on a boat i'm a single guy it's a little weird of me to just jump in my dinghy and row up to another boat and go hi i mean it's okay to do that but no one's done it to me and i don't you know it's like i'd be like well, who are you you know and i'm like wouldn't it be nice if there was a way of signifying that you welcome people to come up and just say hi. And so I went to sleep that night and just thought about it. And I'm like, there should be a flag, like a friendly flag. I know, I should make a friendly flag. <laughs> <laughs> and so I poked around the interwebs the next morning and I, I saw a few different flag designs and i'm like no and then I, I i so i created this design which is just a pair of hands shaking some um like a, a white and black logo because it needed to be a logo it couldn't just be a picture and it needed to signify friendship and a handshake seems to do that it's also the um asl for for friendship is a, is a pair of hands shaking you know it's like that means friendship and so um, I'm like, great. And then I posted that on a, a Mediterranean sailing Facebook page. And everyone just loved the idea. Far more. I mean, I've posted crazy ideas on Facebook pages before, but this was off the hook. I mean, literally hundreds of people were like, this is great. If you make one, I'll buy one. And I'm like, huh. And so I, I went on to, I don't know, Alibaba, I think, and, and found a, a company in China that said they could print a bunch for me and they were reasonably priced. I mean, I started to pay for you know, the, the manufacture and the shipping and everything, but it was, wasn't too bad. And so that's what I did. And I found myself... Uh, with two very large boxes of 2,000 flags. <laughs> and because uh, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it properly. And I wanted to be able to give them out a lot, but I wanted to have enough to sell as well. So I've been selling them for, I think it's like 14 euros, uh, which covers my costs. So I, I've, I've, sold enough that my costs are covered and i because that makes me feel good because that means i can if i give them away it doesn't feel like i'm giving away money it feels like i'm giving away friendship and um some marinas have been very very enthusiastic about it this marina where i met in gator right now it was quite funny because when i got there i was talking to the receptionist 
And she said, oh, would you like one of these flags? And I'm like, ah, that's my flag. <laughs> I did that flag. And she's like, oh, my God. And um, so because what had happened is some friends of mine had stayed here and they talked to um, the the girl behind the desk. And she said, oh, that's a great idea. So I got her address and I mailed her a package of a whole bunch of flags. But I didn't know who she was. It was just a name on an address. And so it was kind of fun to uh, reacquaint myself with her and uh, and give her a bunch more flags because she only had a couple of left. So uh, that was good. Oh, that sounds like a really great idea. Yeah. The, if you go, if you type in friendly flag, um, I think it's friendlyflag.net um, or .com. Both, I've got both of them. Um, you, you will find my flags. And um, I don't know if you can put a link to it um, in this podcast as well. And uh, I mean, it's worked. Uh, a couple of people, one, one person was in a marina and they were walking along and they saw a friendly flag and they didn't have a flag, but they knew what it was because I'd posted about it on, on some Facebook page. And so they said, oh, look, a friendly flag. And then they ended up going out to dinner that night and then cruising together the next day. And I think that's happened a couple of times. And that's the whole point. It's just a little way of making the world just a little bit friendlier. And... You know, it's like we were if you're on a boat, it's a pretty lonesome life anyway. You, you know, if, if someone comes close to you on a boat, usually it's because their their anchor's dragging. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or they've they've fallen asleep or something. It's a bad thing. If some boat comes close to me, I'm gonna be out there with a a, a foghorn letting them know. So it's it's just a, a way of having people get a little bit closer, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the world needs a little bit more of that. And I think it's a great idea to sort of signal that. Yeah. Welcome to chat. A friend of mine, um, a friend of mine runs an RV site in America and she liked the idea. So she had me send a bunch out to her. And she gives them to the people who come and stay at her RV site because they can just stick a little friendly flag out. Because, again, it's a little bit like being in a marina. You you know, you don't want to just walk up to people and go, hi, I'm your new friend. You know, it's just like, but if you put the flag up when you want to talk to someone, I don't know if it'll work. But if I keep pushing it, I think after a couple of sailing seasons here, it, it could catch on. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that it's a fantastic idea. And it sounds like it's already um, taken off and it is working. So I look forward to seeing where that goes. And uh, yes, I can include links and will include the links in the description here as well um, for the Friendly Flag, as well as your YouTube channel so that people can go uh, go find that uh, in the online world and uh, follow your adventure along because you've got exciting plans to head even further south. Learn from learn from my mistakes instead of your own. <laughs> exactly, Seriously. that's great. I, I I've I've made many. Actually, I kind of like that. That would be a good little tagline. Learn from my mistakes instead of your own. I think that, that's a good one. I like that. God, I'm a genius. 
That is a great one. You better write it down now. Put it on a YouTube uh, header or something. That that's no, great. I'll forget one. about it, and then one day I'll listen to this podcast, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that was a good idea. I should do that." <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your experiences and uh, your projects and all that fun stuff. It was really great to chat with you. My pleasure. I I, I strongly recommend people. Not, I mean, you don't have to buy a boat and all go to extremes, but just travel, adventure, do more stuff. Because I don't think anyone was on their deathbed thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't traveled so much. <laughs> you know, I just, it, it, it's travel is good for you. There would be far fewer problems if more people traveled because you find that people are actually quite friendly and quite nice out there. It doesn't matter where they come from or who they are. They're just people are friendly. And it, it's a good way of reminding yourself about that. So I, I recommend you do it. And, Absolutely. And, but if like people, oh, I, I, I couldn't do it because I've got grandchildren, you know. No, no, your grandchildren don't care. The grandchildren would rather have a place to come and visit than have you live in 20 miles away you know it's just like no 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 stop stop throwing excuses out and just get on with it or don't you know it's like not everyone can do it but uh, if you can go for it that's all for this week's episode of the liverbird sailing podcast thanks for tuning in and i hope you enjoyed listening as much as i enjoyed recording it if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a little review on your favorite podcast platform. I would also encourage you to check out Steve's YouTube channel and the Friendly Flag project, both of which I've linked into the show notes. Until next time, bye for now. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.